You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. I'm Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Michelle Jewell Shaw, Queen of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Jeremy, and hello to all of our listeners out there. Today is August 13th, 2022, and this is episode 186 of Lighthearted. We are recording this just a couple of days after I returned uh, from a month in England and Ireland. It was an amazing trip. I'm very happy to be back home, and uh, the jet lag is starting to wear off. This week and next week, we're going to hear two interviews I did while I was in England. Today, we'll listen to my talk with Charles Franklin, a volunteer docent at South Foreland Lighthouse on the White Cliffs of Dover. We are recording on August 4th. It's super hot here on the New Hampshire seacoast. It was 92 the last I checked. How is it in uh, in uh, Rochester, where you are, Michelle, and how are you holding up? The last I checked, I think it was closer to 98 up here. It's Oof. pretty hot up here. Yeah. Yeah. In England, I just missed by a couple of days the record highs they were having there, you know, well over 100. Luckily, I, I missed the worst of that. Yeah. And we go, and then I was on the uh, U.S. Lighthouse Society Ireland tour uh, for most of the month, and we got to Dublin a day after they had their highest temperature in 130 years. So Wow, that's I, crazy. I miss, yeah. It doesn't usually get that anywhere near that hot in Ireland, so they were all raving about how hot it was. You know, to get over 90 is, is really unusual there. Yeah. Um, but anyway, hopefully uh, we're uh, going to start cooling off a little bit here, I hope, in the coming days. So I will be talking more about the Ireland trip and, uh, and my England trip, both parts of it, on upcoming episodes. How were things at Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse while I was gone? They were good. We had lots of great um, scheduled private tours. This past weekend, we did a couple of days of open houses, um, which was great to see, you know, some different people coming out mm-hmm. and seeing the lighthouse. So that was great. Um, it's just been, she's still standing and she's, uh, she's beautiful as ever. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's our, it's our second home, I think, yes. uh, for a lot of us. So Michelle, before we get to today's interview, has anything interesting happened on this date in Lighthouse history? I'm glad you asked, Jeremy. On August 13th, 1993, the move of Block Island Southeast Lighthouse in Rhode Island back from the edge of an eroding bluff began. It took 19 days for the 2,000-ton structure to arrive at its new home about 300 feet inland. After a recent restoration, the lighthouse is open to the public during the summer. Yep, I love that lighthouse, Block Island Southeast Light. It's one of the most interesting lighthouses architecturally. It's in a very beautiful location. Uh, We featured Lisa Nolan and Jerry Abbott of the Southeast Lighthouse Foundation on this podcast. I think that was about a year ago. And I plan to do an upcoming episode about International Chimney. Uh, I think they're now called ICC Commonwealth, uh, the company that moved the lighthouse and several others, including Cape Hatteras. I really want to do a show about that. So, Michelle, let's move on to today's interview, which concerns South Foreland Lighthouse in England. Sure, Jeremy. South Foreland Lighthouse is located on the famous White Cliffs of Dover in southeastern England overlooking the English Channel with a view to France on clear days. The cliff face, which reaches a height of 350 feet, is composed of white chalk accented by streaks of black flint. That sounds beautiful. 
It is beautiful. I was so thrilled to get to see that in person. It's an incredible location. Uh, the dangers posed to shipping by the offshore obstacle known as Goodwin Sands led to the establishment of two lighthouses at South Foreland in 1635. The structures were rebuilt in the 1790s, and then Trinity House, England's Lighthouse Authority, purchased the property. The lighthouse that stands at South Foreland today was built in 1842. There was also a lower lighthouse that worked in tandem with the upper lighthouse. The lower light was deactivated in 1904. In the 1850s, Michael Faraday, acting as a scientific advisor to Trinity House, was exploring the feasibility of electric light being used in lighthouses. A trial was conducted at South Foreland in 1858, making it the first lighthouse to use electric light. John Tyndall, who followed Faraday as a scientific advisor to Trinity House, conducted experiments with fog signals at South Foreland and also did a study of different types of electric lamps compared to oil and gas lamps. In 1898, South Foreland Lighthouse was used by Guglielmo Marconi during his work on radio waves. He received the first ship-to-shore message from the East Goodwin Lightship on Christmas Eve that year. And in 1899, the first international transmission was made between the lighthouse and France. The light was automated in 1969, and it was discontinued in 1988. A short time later, ownership was transferred to the National Trust. The site is open to the public, and most people visit by walking a trail along the cliffs from Dover. There's also a popular tea house at the light station. Charles Franklin lives in Deal, Kent, not far from South Foreland, and he's been a volunteer tour guide at the lighthouse for 18 years. I had the pleasure of getting a personal tour with Charles when I visited in July, and we sat down for the chat you're about to hear, so let's listen to that now. I am here this afternoon at the South Foreland Lighthouse uh, on the incredible, famous, beautiful uh, White Cliffs of Dover in Southeast England. And this is such a treat to be here. It's someplace I've, I've dreamed of visiting for many years. And the lighthouse here, South Foreland Lighthouse, is arguably, I would say, one of the most historic lighthouses in the world. So it's a real privilege to be here. And with me is Charles Franklin who uh, is a volunteer for the National Trust, which cares for this property, a volunteer guide, and uh, is associated with the Association of Lighthouse Keepers. I think you have been for, for many years. Indeed. So thank you so much, Charles. You just gave me a tour of the lighthouse, and I, I really enjoyed that. Thank you so much. Thank you for being with me. Well, welcome to South Foreland. Welcome on behalf of the National Trust, who own this lighthouse. Now it's been decommissioned. Mm-hmm. So thank you for coming. You're very welcome, and it's 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 really is a treat to be here. And the National Trust does such a great job. I've I've visited Souter Lighthouse as well, the other lighthouse that the National Trust yes. cares for. That's a beautiful place yes, too. Yes, that's quite far away from here. That's in the far northeast. Yes, uh, of England. So yeah. it's about three four hundred miles away. Mm-hmm. I did that in a previous visit five years ago. <laughs> it's a, got an incredible foghorn there. <laughs> Indeed. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So uh, before we talk about some of the history of this lighthouse, maybe you could just say a little bit about how you personally came to be involved here? Yes, um, we bought a little house very near here as a holiday weekend and a holiday retreat. And I came up shortly after we moved here on a walk and I found the lighthouse and I thought this is a wonderful place. Mm -hmm. I knew nothing about lighthouses at all. And I remember sitting outside in the sunshine, 
having a picnic lunch that I brought with me, I remember vividly, and sitting down and chatting, and next to me was one of the guides. And um, I thought, how do you become a guide? And I applied and eventually was taken on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this lady, who's now nearly 100, whom I actually saw two days ago, uh, has become one of my best friends, which is the key to yeah. what is nice about working here. Sure. Yeah, definitely. So it, was, it was serendipity, really. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, we were talking uh, earlier, uh, before we started here, about what an incredible walk it is. And uh, it has to be, uh, I've walked to many, many lighthouses in my time. I've had some beautiful walks to lighthouses in different kinds of terrain, but you can't beat this. <laughs> no, it's unique. Walking it? along the, uh, there's, uh, there's a closer way to it too, but I th- probably the majority of the visitors walk the cliffs to, yes. to get here. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. So as I mentioned, uh, you've had a long involvement with the Association of Lighthouse Keepers. I, believe you uh, either serve or have served as a trustee of the ALK, is that is that correct? That's correct. Well, it was through um, the manager of this uh, property um, when I first joined, who was, and she still is, a member of the ALK, that she gave me a leaflet and said, you might be in- interested in joining. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I did, and... Um, after a while, you know, I went to uh, I went to an AGM, which involves visiting lighthouses and nice meals and lots of chat. Mm. Uh, and I got involved in that way. And they were looking for somebody to do marketing, press, PR mm-hmm. stuff. I have some experience of doing that. So, uh, and the lady who was doing it um, wanted to give up. So um, I said, well, maybe I can help you. So I got involved in that way. And after a while, I became a trustee. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did it for a long time, really, till, till quite recently. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a great organization. Could you mm. just say, maybe say a little bit more about what the ALK is for people who might not be familiar cool. with yes. it? Yes. I forget there are people who never heard of the ALK. I think a lot of <laughs> listeners to this podcast being real, mostly of lighthouse course. buffs might yeah. know about it, but a lot of American lighthouse yeah. buffs might might not know about well, it. Well, I meet friends and look about the ALK and they glaze over, so I have to <laughs> explain. It's the Association of Lighthouse Keepers, mm-hmm. founded originally, I think about 40 years ago, yep. um, by keepers who have basically been made redundant mm-hmm. by the uh, Trinity House Organization and the Northern Lighthouse Board as part of their automation program. Yeah. And these chaps thought it would be nice to keep in touch, mm-hmm. have social contact and stuff. And they started um, with a, a modest newsletter mm-hmm. from which the organization grew. And quite early on, they got applications from the members of the public mm-hmm. saying, we're really keen on lighthouses. Can we join your association? Yeah. So they changed the legal document, the charitable deed mm-hmm. that uh, underlined the, the governance of the organization to allow anybody to join. Yeah. So it rapidly became, as it is now, the heritage organization in the UK for lighthouses. Mm-hmm. So we still have, uh, at our core, some retired keepers, yeah. some of whom you know, Jeremy. Yes. Um, uh, uh, and Neil Hargreaves, who is a good friend, who's the president of the ALK, is a former keeper. Yeah. As Jerry, who's who was very much involved in Ian, Ian Duff. Duff. 
and others known to to members of your organisation. Yes. But we welcome all sorts. And as time goes on, the elderly keepers sadly are dying. Yeah. And every you know the every quarter our excellent magazine has got obituaries of mm-hmm. people who've died, and it's very sad. But that's how it is. And of course. They're not. There are no keepers being recruited or working anymore. So the organisation is changing in that way, and we're right. becoming sure. more having a broader membership. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I uh, have to admit, I think I think my membership has lapsed, but I've got to re re up uh, rejoin. But uh, it's an excellent magazine. I have a lot of the sure. copies of the magazine Lamp that the Indeed. LK puts out. Yeah, I would say if members mm-hmm. of the American. Uh, Association are interested. It's very simple. This is a plug, by the way. Sure. Very simple to join online at yeah. alk.org. Um, you know, a few a few um, clicks on your keyboard, yeah, absolutely, and, and with a, a Visa card, and you're a member. Yeah. No, I'm glad you mentioned that. Mm. Yeah, alk.org. People should definitely check it out. Good. So, if we could uh, get back to this lighthouse. Yes. Yeah. Um, we, uh, when you were just giving me the tour, we were sure. talking about the Goodwin Sands, which is uh, obviously a, a very uh, big part of the reason why this lighthouse exists and other lighthouses around the region here. Uh, for people who might never have heard of it before, what are the Goodwin Sands? The Goodwin Sands are a sandbank mm-hmm. that stretches from where we are uh, near Dover yeah. in, in southeast England um, in the English Channel for 10, 15 miles towards Ramsgate. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's in a most hazardous location because the English Channel is the busiest shipping channel in the world mm-hmm. and has been forever. And so it's, it's, it's been a, a real hazard. And there have been, over the years, many um, beacons and um, lighthouses and so on to warn the shipping of these um, dangers and now we have South Foreland, mm-hmm. which is the first permanent lighthouse on this site which was built in 18 or opened in 1842 yeah. and at the other end is North Foreland and those kind of bookend yeah. to coin a phrase the um, the Goodwin Sands. Mm-hmm. But the good interest the Goodwin Sands are quite important to local culture actually, because of course they there are probably well, between two and five thousand wrecks on the Goodwin Sands. We know of about two thousand mm-hmm. where there are records, mm-hmm. but many other records were lost or they were uninsured or whatever, um, and you know countless lives were lost. Coincidentally, as I was saying to you, uh, Jeremy, I'm involved with the Deal Arts Festival, which is mm-hmm. on at the moment. And on Monday, we had a whole day of events about the Goodwin Sands. Oh, okay. Um, uh, two um, very impressive, apparently, lectures about the history and conservation of the sands. Mm-hmm. And it was a full house. There were hundreds of people there. Yeah. And the thing I was involved with in the evening was a new piece of music for singers and harp. And again, very well attended. But the interesting thing was the whole feature was about the dangers of the Goodwin Sands. Mm-hmm. And it was quite appropriate. Yeah. But actually, the Goodwin Sands also protect the town of Deal, where I live. 
because the storms break on the Goodwin Sands rather than over the the beach where right. I near sure. where I live. Actually, isn't covered in a lot of these yeah. these dramas. So they're a danger, but also a protection. Mm-hmm. So, uh, of course, we've described where we are here, but I'm not sure if everybody listening realizes that, you know, we're right on the English Channel here. So actually, uh, on a clear day, it's kind of, kind of hazy out today, but most of the time on clear, in clear weather, you can see France at, what, about 20 miles across? You can. On a clear day, you can certainly see France. It's 23 miles okay. from here. Mm-hmm. Um, that's as the crow flies directly across. But when it's really clear, yeah. you can actually see the town and the port of Calais, okay. which are further away. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in the evening, when the sun is behind us, mm-hmm. it's magical. Yeah, I'll bet. Yeah. I'd love to come back. The weather's better, different, Jeremy. Different. Yeah. Well, it's a beautiful day today, mm. and we could see the landmores we were walking the cliffs. Mm. It's a little hazier now than it mm. was earlier, I think, mm. but it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. Before Trinity House built... The lighthouse here, the uh, South Foreland and the uh, North Foreland lighthouse, there were privately operated lighthouses uh, around here, is um, that correct? There were. I mean, the first one that we know about is, is I don't know if he'd be called, he's certainly private. Um, it was a legend. There was a man called Nicholas de, de Lee, mm-hmm. spelled L-E-G-H. He was a hermit monk, and he kept a light burning at St. Margaret's Bay, which is half a mile away mm-hmm. uh, he, he, he had this sort of somewhere on the cliffs you know the first record of lighthouses uh, in this area was in 1635 mm-hmm. and there were various others um, various beacons and and temporary structures yeah. which are recorded um, but this lighthouse dates back to 1842 yeah. as you say yeah was built by Trinity House. And I believe James Walker uh, was yes. the engineer involved with the building of this lighthouse. Yes, he's, he's pretty a, well known. Well, it's interesting. There were there sort of three eminent Victorians, Walker, Faraday, and Marconi. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, this is what I talk about when I show visitors around. Mm-hmm. The, the least well-known is James Walker, because mm-hmm. the other two are very celebrated. Sure. And he was born in... 1781, mm-hmm. in a very long life. He died 81 years later in 1862. But he was really instrumental in developing harbours and that sort of building. He had this big practice and they built harbours and ports and that sort of infrastructure mm-hmm. um, in this, well, all over the place actually. But he became the um, principal engineer for Trinity House. Yeah. And I have a list. I, I'll read it quickly. Of the lighthouses. And I know there's built, some pretty pretty prominent ones. Which is amazing. Um, like West Usk, which in which I've been to with the ALK, which is lovely. Start Point, South Bishop, Wolf Rock, Cockett, mm. South Fallen, Trivose Head, Whitby, Bishop Rock, and the Needles Lighthouse. Mm. So although he's not that famous, not as famous, I suppose, as Stevenson in Scotland. As the Stevensons, Stevens, yeah. You know, he built some some really important oh, existing lighthouses. Those are some impressive uh, rock lighthouses. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So he was an important man. Mm-hmm, definitely. And uh, he was also, I discovered, 
for a long time consulting engineer to the Board of Admiralty, okay. which is the marine regulatory organisation. Mm-hmm. So it was a very important man, and he had apparently this big uh, yeah. engineering practice. Well, I'm glad you're letting people know about him. He just yeah. deserves to be remembered yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, but then there's Faraday, who you mentioned, uh, and that's certainly one of the things that's often uh, linked with this. One of the yes. really important things is the fact that this was actually the first electrically powered lighthouse in the world, which is a pretty significant thing. It certainly was. Um, first light, uh, electric light, was, I've got it written down here, was shown on the 8th of December, 1858. Mm-hmm. And it was the first lighthouse in the world to, to show an electric light for an experimental period. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it took a long time to get the the work the semi-automatic clockwork mechanism to work, mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't until 1872 when electricity electricity was adopted as the prime fuel here. So it was a, there was a long period between 1858 when the first light was shown via electricity. Yeah. And this, we're talking the really early days of electricity being yes. used for anything, basically. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and between the upper light and the lower light, which we saw from the balcony of the, the lighthouse here, mm-hmm. there was this power station, power plant built, which was a, a, a really big, yeah. big structure yeah. to provide the, the power. And as I mentioned to you earlier, we uh, yesterday I visited uh, the the uh, what they sometimes refer to as the experimental lighthouse at Trinity Buoy Wharf in London, and Faraday did experiments there. I think yep. that was a little bit later. That was built in the 1860s, so it was after he installed the electricity here. But uh, experimented with uh, lighting and electricity there as well. So I'm having a Faraday tour here, I guess. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's a fascinating man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and interesting enough, when you bring families around, you know, many of the kids, the young people, have heard of Faraday. Mm-hmm. So they're still learning about Faraday at school, right? Um, which which is which is good and brings it to life. Yeah. When when we're here. Yeah. At Trinity Buoy Wharf, the the lighthouse there, uh, they've set up a sort of a shack outside to, that's um, meant to be uh, look like Faraday's office mm-hmm. and. Uh, it's got some of his writings on the, the wall and things like that. It's a nice little installation there. I shall have to go and look when I'm next in London. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so then there was a, a guy named John Tyndall, who uh, was also, uh, as Faraday was, he followed Faraday as the scientific advisor to Trinity House. And he did some experiments here, which I, I thought were interesting. I was reading about that. Yes, uh, he, he mm-hmm. took over in 1865. And as you say, he did some important work particularly in the testing, the effectiveness of various fog signals. They had this power plant, mm-hmm. uh, which they built, uh, which had spare capacity, and um, they used that steam power plant to provide the energy for a variety of acoustic instruments, which was set up at the top of the cliff and the bottom of the cliff here. Mm-hmm and monitored the sound offshore. So it must have been an amazing thing to hear, actually. Yeah. yeah. Was there a foghorn here for any significant amount of time? Or I it... don't think there was, but it was used for these various tests. Yeah. That much yeah. I do know. Yeah. yeah. He also, I think, experimented with uh, 
gas versus oil versus electricity to see what was the most efficient as far as the, the strength of the yeah. light, I think. Yeah, so it was apparently in 1876 he did a comparative study mm -hmm. of two types of electric generator, the magneto and, magneto and the dynamo. Yeah. So they did a lot of work here. Yeah, and I, I think they decided that electricity produced the, the most powerful light. Yeah. Right. Probably the most reliable. Mm. Right, yep. So the, the uh, technological history here is incredible. So the other person you mentioned a few minutes ago, a uh, scientific mind that was, uh, did some important work here, would have been Marconi, the radio pioneer. What, what was his role here? Yes, he was a remarkable man. And he won the Nobel Prize um, for his work. He didn't invent radio, but developed it mm -hmm. to a commercial level, and that made him extremely rich. The Italian government didn't, didn't see the importance of his invention, so he came to this country, mm -hmm. which made him welcome, interestingly enough, and he, he stayed here and became a multimillionaire. And um, Trinity House was very, very keen to find a way of communicating effectively with light vessels. Mm -hmm. And that was his first uh, job, apparently. But really, the most important thing he did here was to, um, which was on the 27th of March, 1899, when he, working with um, another colleague uh, called George Kemp, they made the first international radio transmission Mm -hmm. from here at South Forland mm -hmm. to a place called Vimero in France, which is near Boulogne, which is, I guess, about 30 miles direct from here. And they exchanged Morse code messages. That was the first ever international radio communication. Right. So this is yeah. a very important site for that sort of thing. Certainly. So to, to talk uh, maybe a little bit about the human history here, yeah. there's a lot of incredible technical history, but also um, I understand there was one family that was here that was kind of a dynasty of keepers for a very long time. It was the Knott, K-N-O-T-T, Knott family? The Knotts, indeed, yes. yes. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we have a display in our visitor area with photos of mm -hmm. the pr principal members. Uh, and they are said to have the longest period of con continuous service in the history of staffed lighthouses. Anywhere, I would say, that I've certainly Anywhere. heard about. And they started in 1730 at South Forland yeah. with William Knott. Yeah. And they ended in 1906 at the Skerries, which is in Wales, yeah. with a chap called Henry Thomas Knott, who died only in 1910. So, um, yes, their contribution to lighthouses was, was extraordinary. So we're talking something like 175 years, mm. I believe? Yeah, I have, I know of nothing that, that compares oh. to that. Do you happen to know if there are any uh, not family descendants in, in the area uh, related to the, that family of keepers? Or? Well, funny you should say that. There, I have a friend who is, I won't name him probably, not wise, but anyway, he's, um, uh, he's um, a member of the ALK and an author mm -hmm. and writes lots of books about, the, uh, about lighthouses. Really? And he or his late wife are not descendants. Okay. I can't quite remember which. 
Yeah. Either he or his late wife. Yeah. Interesting. So huh. yeah, yeah. But yes, their service was extraordinary, and and um, I, it's very interesting. I did do some checking up, and um, Henry Knott was born at St Margaret's, which was near here, mm-hmm. and so was another well, another Henry Knott, and another Henry Knott, and a John Knott, mm-hmm. and a George Knott, and a Henry Thomas Knott were mm-hmm. all born in the next door village. Mm-hmm. So they all came from here, even though they worked elsewhere. So uh, you, we mentioned the lower light a few minutes ago. Yes. Uh, which uh, I could see. Uh, you can <laughs> see it from, right from uh, near here. And uh, it's kind of derelict at this point. Mm, uh, it is. And uh, it's privately owned. It's actually part of a property of a house that sits down there. So for people who don't know, American listeners, a, a lot of our uh, listeners might be familiar with what we call range lights in the U.S., where you yeah. have a front range light and you line it up with the rear range light behind it, one above the other, to know you're in the correct channel in the center of the channel. Same thing with the lower and upper lights in Great Britain. Uh, yes. People might know the old hymn, let the lower lights be burning. But that's actually more about lights and windows, I think, actually. Is right. I, don't I think that's that. how the origin yes. of that. So that's another story. But <laughs> but the, the uh, you, often you have, the, they're like range lights, the lower and upper mm-hmm. light that are lined up uh, yes. to come into the, the channel. Uh, but w- why was the lower light discontinued in 1904? Um, the Goodwin Sands um, move around in the storms the winter storms, um, and the Trinity House did a survey uh, in 1904 and discovered that the Goodwin Sands had moved south mm-hmm. towards Dover, uh, and therefore if you used the, the upper and lower light to give you the bearing to get you past the Goodwin Sands, you would in fact end up sailing over the Goodwin Sands, mm-hmm. which would have been hazardous. So they decommissioned the lower light, replaced it with a light vessel, and more recently with a buoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at that time also they uh, converted the upper light from a fixed light to a more conventional flashing light. Mm-hmm. So those two processes were, were connected. And you've still got the, the rotation mechanism in place for the, the light here, which is we're pretty incredible. proud of that. Yeah, I was very impressed seeing that. You've got the, the weights and everything in mm. place. It can still be wound up, and the lens still rotates on a mercury bed. It does. Which is very rare. It is. It's pretty unique. Sometimes you do see them where they're rotating on ball bearings. Yes. Um, but the mercury, mercury is terribly dangerous. Yeah, well, mercury was common at one time, but, but it was almost all removed. Exactly. Yeah. But this has survived. Yeah, and there's no leakage of fumes or anything, I hope. No. It's probably checked once no, a month. No, 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 no yeah. it's perfectly safe. Yeah. There's only one lighthouse in the U.S. that still has a lens rotating on, on Mercury, and that's uh, Split Rock Light in Minnesota, in Minnesota on Lake Superior. I was just there uh, in April for really? the first time. It's an incredible lighthouse. Mm. Um, but, yeah, that's our only one. Really? I think there aren't many in the world quite unique. So uh, to change gears a little bit here, uh, no pun intended, <laughs> rotation gears. I understand there was some interesting activity around here during World War II, the Second World War. Well, this was the front line. Uh, the Germans were, were uh, encamped in northern France, and after the Dunkirk 
evacuation in 1940. This was the front line. Right. And there was a big radar installation in the grounds in front of the lighthouse, actually. Um, Although I believe lighthouses are protected and shouldn't be attacked during warfare and battles, uh, we did have some damage here. And you can see the damage in the lamp room where, where some explosion caused damage. You know? To the lens itself. Mm. Yeah. And I'm told that the uh, the lighthouse wasn't illuminated every night. It mm-hmm. was only if there were a particular reason, a convoy or some reason to have the light on. Yeah. So it wasn't on all the time. Okay. I know on the, the coast of the U.S. the lights were turned off during the yeah. war. Yeah, yeah. To, to not aid the enemy. But we do, as part of the tourist offer that we have here we have tours at the fan bay deep shelter mm-hmm. which is just next door mm-hmm. to the lighthouse which is a second world war shelter yeah um and we're also excavating at the wonston farm site where's the site of artillery guns and stuff okay so this was a center of wartime activity yeah and Dover was heavily bombarded, of yes. course. Uh, let's get back to the National Trust. We mentioned near the beginning that the National Trust owns this site and manages yes. it. Can you maybe say a little bit more about that? The National Trust is a charity. Mm-hmm. So it's an, actually a membership organization. Um, people sometimes think it's a government organization. It has mm-hmm. nothing to do with the government. It's an independent charity and it's essentially a conservation and historical organization. Mm-hmm. It owns huge tracts of land, yeah. including the White Cliffs where you walked. The whole trail, there. they That's maintain the trail. Yeah. Owned, actually, by the right. National Trust for the nation. And beautifully maintained. And indeed, and they, this is all being developed for conservation purposes, mm-hmm. having been intensively farmed till recently. And um, in 1988, when the, our lighthouse, South Foreland, was decommissioned, right. National Trusts were very keen to acquire it for the nation right. because of its historical importance. Uh, and so they opened it a year or two later as a visitor attraction. And they still maintain it. And it costs an enormous amount of money. And as we saw on the tour... Uh, there's a major restoration program going on at the moment. Yeah. Um, so come next spring, mm-hmm. uh, you know, April 2023, it will again reopen, we hope, in pristine condition. That's fantastic. It's a beautiful, beautiful lighthouse. The exterior was painted recently. You're right. Part of their, um, part of the National Trust's conservation program Mm -hmm. is that the exterior now has to be painted i think every three years Mm -hmm. oh okay yeah which is a massive financial yeah that's a pretty um, big commitment responsibility yeah Yeah. most most lighthouses go a little longer than that but often they show that they've gone longer than that yes exactly it's a nice thing to aim for yeah yeah uh so when people come to the site here to visit the lighthouse uh, what can they normally experience? So we're, we're here on a particular day when it's not, not open. It's open certain days of the week. When is it open and 
Are there tours for people? How does that work? What they can expect most days during the summer is a National Trust cream tea. Okay. Which is what is wonderful. And a lot of people now come up, they love the tea, love the refreshments. They sit out on the on the grass and enjoy the view. Yeah. Um, and, of course, they have the option of visiting the lighthouse. They get a guided tour, which takes about... 45 minutes. Yeah. We take but, around small groups. But it's open, what is it, how many days a week is well, it, the, the lighthouse open? Well, the open. We're, we're here in mm-hmm. July. Yeah. It's open Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Mm-hmm. Then um, I think in August, it's open seven days a week. Oh, okay. And then it reverts back to the four days a week. It's dependent to some extent on the number of volunteers who are yeah. available. Um, it's really dependent on volunteers to do this work. So there's some staff here, right? But uh, the tours are given by volunteers? Yeah, yeah, that's right. All the guiding is done by volunteers, yeah, all yeah. of it. And you, you alluded to the tea room a moment Absolutely, ago. Yes. Mrs. Knott's Tea Room. Indeed. Is it after, you? we talked about the Knott family of keepers, is Mrs. Knott's Tea Room named after a specific Mrs. Knott from that family, or is it more of a general? Uh, it's a sort of commercial decision to, to uh-huh. call it Mrs. Knott's Tea Room. Yeah. Um, but um, it, it's been open five or six years, and in the first year it opened, it won a massively important prize as the best tea room mm-hmm. in Kent, which mm-hmm. is the county where we're located, uh, which was a great honour, really, for the, the team that yeah. that were, were running it. And it's massively popular. We hope you enjoy your tea after. Yeah, yeah. We, we finished our, our interview. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> we stopped in and I saw the inside. It's beautiful. Mm. And I, I'd read wonderful things about it online. I know mm. people love it. And it's decorated, as we saw, you know, in an old-fashioned style with old-fashioned yeah. wallpaper, old-fashioned furniture. Yes. So yes. it's in period, you know. Yeah. I think a tea room at a lighthouse is a perfect idea. And the only one I can think of, maybe there's others I'm forgetting, but the only one I can think of that I've, I've been to is uh, in Bermuda. Mm. Gibbs right. Hill Lighthouse in Bermuda has a tea room, or at least did when I was there. I think it still does. The National mm-hmm. Trust gets... A lot of attention because of its commercial activities. Yeah. So we do push the teas. Mm-hmm. We push the suppers. We push the souvenirs. Yeah. Well, I sure. It's all tasteful. Yeah. Um, but it needs that income. Absolutely. To keep, keep. There's no the shame in that. Going. And people you know, enjoy those things anyway. They do. But you know, people there. Are, there's quite a lot of controversy about that. And people, oh, we shouldn't do that. But we're not a branch of government. So I believe me, I couldn't understand that's the, better. Yeah, yeah. It's, and I think our listeners understand you have to you have to make money to keep these things uh, going. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and speaking of that, uh, is uh, isn't there a, one of the uh, what was one of the keepers' cottages available for for overnight stays it here? Was, um, or it was one one of the cottages was used by one of the local national trust um, rangers, and when he moved. They converted that into a tea room, which we've just been chatting about. Right. The other cottage was, till a couple of years ago, used as a holiday cottage. Mm-hmm. One of the most popular ones that the National Trust rented out. Mm-hmm. You can imagine, you know, once the visitors are gone, you've got this cottage on top of the White Cliffs of Dover mm-hmm. and the whole site to yourself. It was wonderful. 
and they decided they, they needed the space for um, other purposes to extend the tea room and maybe a little exhibition space and so on. Um, so they closed down the holiday rental. Oh, okay. But unfortunately, they haven't been able to use the space because yeah. of COVID. Ah. But that's going to be the next phase of development, you know. Okay. So the so it's it's not used for anything particular at the moment, but it will be in the future. It Will be, okay. But it was lovely, yeah, to, yeah, to have a holiday. Sadly, but North Fordham Lighthouse has does have accommodation. Yes, uh, very beautiful. Yes, cottages too. That's what I've I've heard. Yeah. yeah, going to see that shortly. So you talked about the fact that there's going to be some restoration of the interior coming up soon, and the lighthouse is painted every three years. But wasn't there uh, some really major work done a few years ago, like about 2014, is it? Well, I think the, the big problem, actually, was that the uh, internal brickwork and plaster was very damp. Yes. Because the, uh, I think, way back Trinity House had applied a kind of sealant to the outside, which prevented the brickwork breathing. Yes, this has happened in a number of places. It's That's in, right. Yeah. And so... Trinity House, again, that massive project, sandblasted all the accumulated mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. external paintwork and put on a, a more appropriate paint, which allows the brickwork to breathe. And that is now repeated every three years. And now that is working, um, they moved on to the second phase, which was the internal restoration, which meant that all the loose plaster work and render was removed and left for the winter, which allowed the brickwork to dry. But unfortunately, COVID hit us, so everything was closed down. Yeah. Actually, in a way, I mean, very difficult for the National Trust, but it allowed the internal brickwork to dry even more. So it's in that sense, it's been quite helpful. Yeah. So that will now be completed. That restoration will be completed between October 2022 and March mm-hmm. 2023. Mm-hmm. And we'll hope to be opening again Our next in season. April 2023. Yeah, yeah. I hope I can come back and see it. <laughs> You'll have to come back. It'll look lovely. Yeah, I have no doubt. <laughs> so... Uh, the uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners know the the Queen's uh, Platinum Jubilee was not long ago. It was all over our TVs, uh, even in America. Uh, and uh, you had a special event here, I think, as part well, of that. We did. Um, the lighthouse is decommissioned, mm-hmm. so it doesn't it doesn't flash a light anymore. Right. But it has been lit on three occasions. Mm-hmm. Firstly, the Queen's Diamond Jubilee, then the 2018 centenary of the armistice of the mm-hmm. First World War, the year or two ago, the anniversary, the first anniversary of the death of a lady called Vera Lynn, mm-hmm. who was a Second World White War. Cliffs White Cliffs of Dover. White Cliffs of Dover. The sun. And she he- headed up the appeal that led to us to raise all this money mm-hmm. to buy the White Cliffs. Oh, okay. We didn't own. So to commemorate that, we lit the lighthouse. And then what you're referring to was three weeks ago, whatever it was from the time we're we're recording, it was lit again. This Mm -hmm. was a big, big do. 
Um, and we had about a thousand people here from the local community. Mm -hmm. And the lighthouse was lit. I should say we don't use a... We, the, the, the original lamp is not used. Mm -hmm. There's a chap called Cyrus who comes all the way down from the north of Scotland with kind of theatre lighting. Oh. Uh, but it has the same effect. And a, but the light is inside the lens? Or exactly or, where, yeah. the, it, where the original lamp was. Um, and the optic goes round uh, all night. We have a mm -hmm. team of people winding it. Well, that's great. I could say, and you can put this in the podcast, that there is my YouTube film of it available. Okay. I don't mind if people look and like it. Okay, excellent, excellent. It's Please. Charles Franklin, F-R-A-N-K-L-Y-N, yeah. on YouTube. You'll find it there. It was a lovely evening, I should say, apart from the... It was very moving, actually. It was lovely. I would think so, yeah. You know, we enjoyed it. Yeah, the occasion itself mm. and to see the light lit has to be very and We special. had a kind of music uh, mm -hmm. things going on. Those well. were like a band or something? There or? were various bands mm -hmm. and That's great. and all stuff going yeah. on. Oh, it sounds it was like lovely, a... you know, sea shanties. Uh -huh. It was a nice evening. It was like a really nice event. And the weather was good. So I have two final questions for you, okay, okay. For, for bonus for points. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so first of all, uh, we are in what I would say is one of the most uh, famous and beautiful places in, in the world. I mean, every, pretty much everybody, certainly in, in America, we all know about the White Cliffs of Dover. What's it like working in such a spectacular place? You don't tire of it. Mm -hmm. um, as you can tell, you know, we're all very enthusiastic here. Um, the view is extraordinary. The history is extraordinary. The whole atmosphere is very exciting in a way. And it's a privilege, really, to work in a place as beautiful and historic as up here on the White Cliffs. Can't find a better place. No, I wouldn't think, I don't think you know. so. And my final question, and, and to some degree you might have already answered this, but maybe you want to expand mm. a, a little bit, or maybe there's something else you want to add. Uh, what is your favorite thing about your involvement with the uh, South Foreland Lighthouse? Here? Um, ironically, the people, because um, A, we have lots of thousands of visitors, and they're great. You mm -hmm. know, we're showing families around, and when we went round the lighthouse and wound the weights and rang the bell and all that, and it's great fun. Mm -hmm. uh, and showing children all these things and families and so on is great fun. You don't tire of it. Yeah. Uh, so the people are great. And I've made lots of friends through the National Trust, yeah. through the ALK, from home and now abroad. Mm -hmm. um, and that, funnily enough, that's probably the most important thing from my point of view. Yeah. Um, making lots of friends. And I'm not surprised to hear you say that. I think a lot of people feel that way. Mm. These places are special, but it's the people that make them, you know, really, really special. And the team here, you yeah. know, one or two, you know, are really, really nice, helpful, positive mm -hmm. people. It's a great place to be. Yeah. Well, I can I'm see a volunteer, yes. so I can walk away anytime. And I've been here 18 years. <laughs> right. So, and that's why, really. I, yeah, I can understand. Well, Charles Franklin, thank you so much. Uh, it's just uh, wonderful being here, wonderful meeting you and talking with you, and I, I love the tour you, you gave me. Uh, thank you for letting me crank up the, the rotation mechanism. That, it's a pretty rare privilege, uh, and uh, it's just a beautiful, beautiful place here. And uh, I can't thank you enough. Thank you, Charles. Pleasure seeing you.
You can read more about South Foreland Lighthouse on the National Trust website at nationaltrust.org.uk. For more on the Association of Lighthouse Keepers, go to alk.org.uk. The Association of Lighthouse Keepers has an excellent new website. I recommend that people check it out. Thanks again to Charles Franklin for the interview and for his hospitality when I visited South Foreland. Thanks also to Becky Russell of the National Trust. And a very special thanks to Jeremy Hawes and his wife Babs of Operation Europe for their generous help during my visit to England last month. They could not have been nicer or more helpful. Be sure to check out uslhs.org to learn about everything the U.S. Lighthouse Society offers, including tours, preservation grants, the research catalog, the passport program, and much more. Remember that donations help support this podcast. Please share word of this podcast on social media and tell your friends about it. If you listen with Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us. And speaking of social media, I want to mention something else. The U.S. Lighthouse Society is currently having an art challenge on Instagram. So if you go to uh, the USLHS Instagram account, you will see a a notice about it. Uh, It's going on through the month of August, but this is just uh, part one. There will be more uh, parts down the road uh, covering different geographic regions in the U.S. Basically, uh, we're asking people to submit either photos or artworks, uh, visual uh, works of different kinds. Uh, And the first uh, contest is for lighthouses in the Western region, including California, Oregon, Washington, Alaska, Hawaii, and U.S. Pacific territories. And the winners will be shared on social media and in the USLHS Lighthouse News of the Week. Uh, Further instructions are at the USLHS Instagram account. I hope we'll get lots. We've already had uh, a good amount of uh, entries. Hope we'll be seeing more. So be sure to check that out. Oh, that sounds great. The British politician and author Enoch Powell once wrote, quote, If my ship sails from sight, it doesn't mean that my journey ends. It simply means the river bends. End quote. On next week's episode, we'll listen to a conversation with Rhonda and David Armitage, creators of the classic children's book, The Lighthouse Keeper's Lunch. As always, to our regular listeners and our new ones, thanks for listening and keep a good light. Let it shine, let it shine